Now for this part of our service. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse number 5. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the renewing of faith. The renewing of faith. Luke chapter 1, begin to read in verse number 5. I invite you to stand, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. In Luke 1, verse 5, the Bible says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak till these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to him, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me and has taken away my reproach among people. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit, God, I pray, would help us to understand this text this morning. God, I pray first for those who are lost, who have never turned from sin and trusted you. God, I pray you'll overwhelm them with that reality today, their spiritual need as they stand before you. We pray, God, they'll turn and respond to the love that you demonstrated in sending Christ to die for us. And I pray they'll trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, I pray you'll challenge us about revival and renewal. I pray for the one who stands in need of revival today. And God, I pray that we'll remember that the Bible says let him uh, take heed those who stand uh, lest they fall at any time. And I pray that those of us who are walking with you today in a renewed relationship will remember that at any moment, God, we could slip and we could faint. I pray we'll be moved in these days, God, and we'll be committed and disciplined 
uh, to live our lives steadfastly in our walk before you and before a fallen man. God, have your way during this service. We'll thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. <clears throat> Remember that revival is it's a fresh reconsecration to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We, we lose a lot of words um, in society. Um, gay used to be a word that people said all the time, you know, to say they're happy. Well, we lost that word. And revival is a word that's really been lost in the church. Most people think, say, you know, the church needs revival. They say, well, you know, well we're going to have it in the fall or spring. They really don't understand spiritually what revival is. It is a fresh reconsecration in the life of a believer to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when faith faints, when faith ceases to flourish, that is, to, to grow continually in a right, renewed relationship with God every day, revival is, is needed. It's a renewal of faith, the resubmission to Christ. Revival and renewed faith brings an opportunity to live on in this state. You know, just because you, you, you are revived doesn't mean you have to faint before the end of the day spiritually. Uh, you know, if, if someone faints, we're going to get the smelling salts out and we're going to try to wake them back up and our hope is that they won't faint again. And God's desire is, friend, when we faint spiritually and we choose to be revived and renewed through those spiritual processes of repentance, confession, resubmission to Christ's lordship, that we continue steadfastly to live in that that direction you know the conception and birth of john the baptist it's a major part of the christmas story we we looked at the life of john when we began our study in the book of john two different guys uh but the life of john the baptist is just amazing he is one of he like elijah and nehemiah are, are one of they're one of he's one of my heroes and uh, it was wisely said uh, by a pastor of yesterday's uh that every every christian should be living like John the Baptist in these days, doing their part to herald and to make way the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And surely we're living in the last days before he comes. But John's father, Zacharias, he's really the focus today in this story. He, he experiences God's reviving touch upon his spiritual life, and then there's a renewal of that faith to steadfastness in the Lord. Three things I want you to see this morning. First, about... Zacharias. Number one, notice his fainting faith. His fainting faith. Uh, notice what the Bible says in verse number six. The Bible speaks about Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, and the Bible says that they were both righteous before God. Remember that when he, this story takes place, it's been 400 years since God has spoken one prophetic word. We call that the intertestamental period. It's between the end of Malachi, the last prophetic word that God spoke through Malachi, until Gabriel speaks right here, there's not one prophetic word from God that's been spoken. If somebody wanted to hear something from God, they went back to the law. They began to reread what God had already spoken. But he was not speaking through prophets. I mean, he had absolute, there had been radio silence for 400 years. But even in the midst of that, uh, Zacharias and his wife, the Bible says, they were righteous before God. Look what the Bible says in verse 6. They were walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Even, you know, we, as, as we're in our study in the book of John, 33 years past this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, listen, they have, they have completely destroyed 
uh, the, the Judaic religious faith. But here are two individuals in the midst of all of that that's happening and already taking place. They choose to be faithful to God. It's a good reminder to us. Though the, all the world may be living like they've lost their mind, I don't have to. And you don't either. We can choose in the midst of absolute insanity when it seems like, you know, that the prisoners have taken over the prison and have locked up all the guards and the warden, you know, that we can still choose to live faithful to God. They did. They were righteous. They were walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. The Bible says God had called him uh, to be a priest. It's the family that he was born into. And the Bible says in verse number 8 that he was serving. He, he wasn't just staying at home. He was doing his part in the ministry of God to be a kingdom of priests. They hadn't forgot what the nation of Israel had been called to do. And so he's serving, verse 8, as a priest before God in the order of his division. And then in the midst of that, while he's serving, God shows up. Friend, throughout Scripture, you'll find God uses people who are busy. You really don't see anywhere in Scripture God uses anybody that's lazy. And that's not doing anything. And remember, some people, I've, I heard this in seminary all the time. You know, that if you say, well, I just want to be, I just want to be used by God. I just want to be used by God. I just, I wish, wish I was more usable. Friend, listen, don't pray to be used by God. Pray that you can be more usable, and God will use you. Pray that God will strip out all the things out of your life that prevent Him from using you fully. And God will use you. He'll work through you all that he can. And can I tell you this? Right now, if you're saved, he's using you all that he can. The question is, what's in your life that's keeping him from using you more fully? Well, this man, he was serving. His wife was serving. And the Bible says in verse number 13, an angel shows up and says, do not be afraid. Well, those are probably some good words to say. If you're in the temple, you're about to drop incense upon the altar of incense that is there before uh, the Holy of Holies um, because he would have probably had to said to me, come back. Uh, he says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, your, your prayer is heard. Reminds us again, friend, that when there's no sin between us and God, God hears our prayers. But there's a reflexive truth, Psalm 66, verse 18. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, Friend, God's not hearing your prayers. You have squelched that. You have muted that until you deal with the sin. God's not going to hear anything until you say, Lord, forgive me for what it is that has separated me from you. Isaiah 59 in verse number 2. And so he tells him, your, your prayers heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Well, there's two issues with that. Look back in verse number 7. The Bible says they had no child. Now, the angel that we see is Gabriel. Uh, later on in verse number 19, Gabriel's speaking. He says, you're, you're going to have a child. But here are the issues in verse number 7. Elizabeth was barren. That is, she, God had shut her womb. She was not able to have children. And it seems that they had tried, and they had that desire because he said, your prayers have been heard. But now something else has taken place. They're well advanced in years. And so what the Bible is saying is something that had once been commonplace in their marriage earlier in their lives when they were younger, now because they're well advanced in years, that isn't part of their marriage anymore. So those are the two issues uh, that are at hand. And so Zacharias hears this. He hears what uh, the, the, the angel says about John the Baptist. 
Verse number 14 says you will have joy, you will have gladness, meaning you're going to rejoice at his birth. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall, he's going to be a Nazarite. Uh, he'll take the vow of a Nazarite. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient of the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And you don't get that. You know, when you're, when you're at the hospital or, you know, if you've got a midwife that comes into your house, that's a popular thing now. You don't know. All you know is that you've got a boy or you've got a girl. And it's, you know, the jury's out as to whether they're going to be saved, choose to be. And then once they get saved, whether they're going to choose to be obedient to the Word of God and actually live a life that's pleasing to God. But what a blessing he had. God, in his foreknowledge, through Gabriel, began to share all the things that John the Baptist was going to do. And so in response to that, verse number 18, this man who is faithfully serving God, this man who is choosing to live obedient, he and his wife, to all the commands of God, he's faithfully serving in the calling that God has placed on his life, using those spiritual gifts. He says to him, verse number 18, Zacharias answered the angel and said, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Well, two things I'll say about that. Number one, he's smart. He calls himself old, but his wife well advanced in years. So he's sharp. But on the serious matter, friend, this, he shows a lack of faith. You see, again, verse number seven, two things are evident, have been evident for, for many years. One, always, Elizabeth has not been able to have a child. There weren't any of the doctors and clinics and things that are available today to help. You either could or you could not. But now also, something is not in their marriage that once was. And he begins to speak of that in verse number 18. And, and it's a sin of unbelief. Verse number 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a lack of faith because God sees the heart. Now, you, you, you compare that with what takes place in verse number 34 and then in verse number 45 of when Mary is challenged. She has faith. She believes. You say, well, what's the difference? God always sees the heart. Two people come forward to an altar. Both say this prayer. They're ten feet apart. God, forgive me a sinner. I turn from my sin. I surrender my life to Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Come live in my heart. Save me, Jesus. Two different people pray that. Well, one day one goes to heaven and one goes to hell. How is that possible? Both said a sinner's prayer. The difference is this, friend. God sees the heart. Won't you listen to me this morning? Salvation doesn't take place first just because of words that come across your lips. Those words must be a reflection of a heart, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that truly chooses in brokenness to turn from sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. Salvation's not about putting a gun to someone's head like a crusade and saying, pray these words, all right, you're born again. It's a matter of the heart. And God always sees the heart. 
He knows what you mean when you pray. He knows if your words have any truth behind them. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth truly speaks. And in this moment, he did. The, the, the truth came out. He says, how, how can this be? We have these we have these obstacles that are in front of us. There's no way that this can take place. Write down Hebrews chapter 13 uh, and, and verse number 12. The Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews 3, 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That is that... We, we read the words, and yeah, God, I believe the words until they're in front of me and my faith is really challenged. My friend, it's true. You either believe God at his word or you don't. And so at that very moment, Zacharias, though he was living for the Lord in a, in a right relationship, he's challenged in his faith, and he faints. He faints. His question was a revelation of his heart, that he, he believed God but he didn't really believe God because Elizabeth's barren and things aren't like they used to be. And at that moment, he faints spiritually. I want to ask you a question this morning. Look, here, look, up, look up here at me. What's God called you to do in recent days? What, what is something specific that God has laid on your heart that he's calling you or your family to do? And you've sensed it. You have known it. God has been working in that direction as you pray, as you read God's Word daily, just in still small ways. You know that God has been preparing you for something. He's been calling you to do something. It may be a conviction of something that's lacking, that you need to start or you need to begin. What's He called you to do? And then what was your response? Did you begin to t tell Him all the obstacles and the things that were going to keep this from happening? Or did you just say, well, Lord, you'll have to do it. And I'll walk through the doors as you, you open them. A lot of times, friend, we can absolutely be so overcome by the obstacles that we commit the sin of unbelief. And the obstacles are real. Two things still existed. Elizabeth is barren. She's not able to have children. And they're not able to have children. They're, they're well advanced in years. But he didn't trust the Lord. And so because of that he began to falter and to faint spiritually. And friend, when that happens, it never gets better until repentance takes place. When you begin to faint spiritually, you just continue to slide down that slippery slope, and it affects every single part of your life. And then, then you become discouraged, and then you become bitter. And then you're so self-focused on yourself that you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength anymore, and you don't love your neighbors yourself because you're always playing the world's smallest violin in your ear. Oh, woe is me. It's all negative. And you become like Jacob. You say, all these things are against me. Rather than the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, 28, saying, all these things are for me. And God's going to do something. He's going to work it out for good. When God calls you to do something, listen, and there are obstacles in front. Friend, I've just learned this in my life. I've been reminded of it again in recent days. God will equip us to do His will. Ten chapters over from a verse we just read out of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. Listen to what the Bible says. The author of Hebrews writes, Now may the God of peace 
who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he's, he's, he, from the very beginning, he's saying, and may the God of peace, who, oh, by the way, overcame the greatest obstacle ever, he brought Jesus out of the grave. By comparison, that great shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, listen to verse 21, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, if God can bring his son back from the dead, he can overcome any obstacle that's in your life. Anything. And by faith, we have to believe that. Zacharias had fainted. His faith had fainted. Spiritually, he needed revival. Number two, won't you notice this morning, revived faith. Two things, friend, listen, when you faint, you can get worse or you can be revived. But you're never going to stay still. When someone backslides, they don't, there's not an emergency break. You continue to slide. It never gets better until renewal and repentance takes place. And that's the first step, is to turn back to Christ. To, to, to admit, God, I fainted spiritually. And this is where it happened. And to confess that sin of unbelief, to turn from it, and to begin to be obedient to what it is that God has called you to do, to step out on faith and, and, to, and to trust Him. Well, notice what the Bible says in verse number 23. So God is, He has judged him now. He's going to be mute for nine months. He's not able to speak. He comes out. The people are outside looking at him. They begin to wonder, you know, what's, what's taking so long? Why, why, is, why are all these things happening? Uh, what, why, why are you not out already? And there's like something's wrong with the schedule. And he comes out and begins to give him hand and arm motions. He's trying to speak and nothing's coming out. They're saying, we must have laryngitis. What's, what is wrong with him? And he's making little angel wings inside point. And nobody understands what he's saying. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 23. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed, he departed to his own house. He didn't stay where he was. And that was spiritually fainted. He, did, he didn't stay in this, in this state of, of, of being uh, faltered where he needed help. He, he got up from where he was and he went home. Well, what's at home? His wife's at home. God says you're, you're going to have a child. So he got up and he, he returned home. Repentance and obedience to what God has called us to do. When I was in college, the last two years that I was in college, um, I lived in an apartment. And it was underneath um, the lady and her husband who ran the whole apartment complex. And there were a bunch of them. And she was needing, you know, some, an upstanding, quiet, well-respected person in the community to live under her. And she found me. Just kidding. Anyway, but it was, there was a problem. It was just me living by myself. Well, it was a two-bedroom apartment. I said, ma'am, I don't, I don't have a roommate. I really don't want a roommate. And she says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We'll take the doorknob off of one of the bedrooms and we'll put a, a lock on it, a deadbolt that's, that's keyed. And that way the door will always stay locked. And I will tell you, it, sometimes it was, was kind of eerie to know that there was a room that was empty. I'd walk outside and look in the window to make sure nobody was living in there. But listen to me. 
I never tried to open that door. Once the door was locked, there was no way I could get in the door. So I never went over and was like, well, I wonder if I can get in there today. It became a part of my life when I came home. It just became normal, a part of my life, that I was living in a one-bedroom apartment, and that was a door that I didn't try to open. Something had happened in Zacharias and Elizabeth's life that a door had been locked to a part of their marriage which had once been open. And Zacharias, apparently, the Bible's bearing out here, he didn't ever try to open that door. It just became a normal part of their life that that door was locked. But listen, God says you're going to have a child. And by faith, he went home, and friend, the Bible says he opened that door. And God touched her body. And the Bible says, miraculously, she was able to have a child. Verse number 24 says that she conceived. It was an immaculate conception. Zacharias did her part, she did her part, and God did his. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply. And so that was a normal part of their healthy marriage, and they had a child. But listen, he had to act upon faith. When you fainted spiritually, friend, in response to what God has called you to do, the first step is obedience after repentance. After you've, con- you've confessed what you've done, you've turned from that sin, you can't just say, God, I believe you, friend. You've got to step out on faith. And God did that. It may, for you, it may be a sin of omission. God has called you to witness to a co-worker, a neighbor, you say, oh, God, I reckon it, but there's no way that I can do that. I'm just, I'm not good at that. And when you, do, when you disobey God, friend, the Bible says to him, no, do good and doth not change forward. To him it is, it's sin. And when you confess that and you say, God, I've failed to witness as you've called me to. But God, your word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, friend, after you've repented of that, you've got to step out now on obedience. And you've got to step, you've got to initiate that conversation some way. And you've got to allow God to work through you to share His Word and the good news that they don't have to die and go to hell, but they can be saved from their sin and have a personal relationship with Him now. It may be in Bible study, your prayer, you may say, oh, there's, there's no way I can ever really just focus on my work. You can do that. You can focus on God's Word. It may be to use your spiritual gift to be a listener in our Awana ministry. You say, well, I, I, there's, there's no, kids drive me crazy. And there's, God, whatever he calls you to do, friend, he will equip you to do. But you've got to step out on faith. And so the second step after repentance was obedience. And God blessed. Now his faith has been revived. And Zacharias has grown spiritually. He's learned a lesson. Listen, there's no obstacle that's too big for God. Whatever he calls you to do, he will equip you to do. He will tear down the obstacles or he will carry you over and through the obstacles, but you must trust him by faith and you must act in obedience. And he did. And Zacharias had failed, but my, what a great new beginning he has had in the Lord. And what a blessing. I mean, listen, the only thing better would would have been able to be in the earthly parents of Jesus. I mean, listen, that was like a a child on autopilot. I mean, you learn from him. But the only thing better than being the earthly parent of Jesus could have been the parent of John the Baptist. Just to have watched God's hand and work upon him. No back talking, no lying, no smart aleck talk. 
Man, just think about that for a second. Anyway, I'm about to lose myself. I'm sure my parents are thinking, yeah, we wish we'd have had that too, son. So revived faith. Third notice now, steadfast faith. Steadfast faith. Listen, when one falters, you faltered. When one faints, one's fainted. And you stand in need of revival. But once God has revived you, once there is that fresh reconsecration to Christ's lordship, once you begin to walk in that, listen, God's desire is that you keep on walking in that. The perfect plan is that we never have to have revival again. The perfect plan is that there's nothing ever to confess again. The perfect plan is that it is upward and onward in Christ. I want you to know, friend, revival is not invisible. Now Zacharias is going to have steadfast faith. Steadfast faith. His wife is conceived. She's hiding herself for five months. A lot of those difficult challenges that, that go on with a, a woman in those early months of pregnancy, she certainly would have experienced, and so she's hidden herself for, for five months. But now fast forward uh, to verse number 57. Sandwiched in between these are verses that we'll look at in the next few weeks is when the Lord deals with Mary. And then Mary visits Elizabeth and begins to share those, those truths with her that God has revealed to her. The Bible says in verse number 57 that now Elizabeth's full time came. The, the water is broken. It's, it's time for the baby to come. And so she, she, she brought forth her son with as limited amount of help that they had in those days, just the, the work of God for them to, to come out so safely. And says, so when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced. And the Bible says in verse number 59, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise. Being obedient to God's word, Genesis 17, verse 12. There makes sure on the eighth day that that's something that is, that is happening. Uh, and so they, they came to, to, to make sure that that was done. And the Bible says in verse number 60, they began to say, well, let's call him Zacharias. Now, remember this whole time, Zacharias hadn't said a word. He's still mute. He can't speak. And his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. Well, did she just get that? No. He's our, in, in the process of his fresh reconsecration to Christ. He certainly has written down everything and told her what happened. He should, she's already had conversations with Mary. She knows what the Lord is going to do in her life. And she says, we don't, listen, we don't care what you say. No, it's not that his, his name will be John. It's already John. He's, he's been John for nine months. And said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name, verse 62. So they made signs to his father that he would have him called. And he, he asking for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. And I want to say in two parts, friend, the, the, the Bible doesn't say, you know, in, in verse number 44, that when John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb, it doesn't say the fetus lit, leaped in her womb. It says the baby leaped in her womb. It's not that his name's going to be John. His name already was John. He had been John for nine months in his mother's womb. And so one of the first marks of, of revival is, is obedience in the smallest things. Someone says, well, what's the big deal what they called him? The big deal is God said his name's going to be John, and so they were obedient, and they called him John. 
And we sit and bicker about things today. And people say, well, I mean, we can just agree to disagree. My friend, if the Bible says something's right, it's always going to be right. If the Bible says something's wrong, it's always going to be wrong. It doesn't matter what's popular or what... what let's see what the, how the church wants to vote about. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. And God said his name's going to be John. So is it, does it really matter? God said it's, his name's John, so it's going to be John. And there are things that are forever settled in the Word of God. And we're living in a day where things are rehashed and renamed and culture gets to decide. Friend, I'm telling you, God's Word never changes. I'm telling you, friend, surrender is surrender. Commitment is commitment. You can't redefine it. You can't. And people are doing that to make it more palatable to the masses. If you're going to be right with God, friend, you must be obedient in the smallest details of your life. It's a, it's a mark of revival. But not only that, another mark is, is a filling of the Holy Spirit. Look what the Bible says in verse number 67. Now his father, Zacharias, now his tongue's open. As soon as he wrote down John, God loosed his tongue, and he was able to speak. And, and the Bible says in verse number 67 that he was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine or excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've tried to help you over the past six years. Remember it this way. He's not just resident, but he is president. When you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart. But if you're really filled with the Spirit, he is president over every area of your life. And now, Zacharias, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. That means we're always going to, we're always going to defer to whatever God wants to do. He's Lord. I don't exist. Only Christ does. And so this, this is something that is evident in his life. I'll tell you another mark of, of lived out revival is, is a sharing of the gospel. It's not just a one-time thing. It, it's a lifestyle. You, you're constantly living on mission. You see your job. You see your retirement. You see whatever situation you're in as your mission field. If you're still working, the funds you earn, it's just so your family can survive and you can live so you can live on mission here in this community. You see your family as missionaries to where it is that you live. And you're raising your children that way. It's not about well, what do you want to do with your life. It's, that's not the question. What does God want to do with your life? Have you discovered what it is that God wants to do with your life? Because it's through what He's doing that that's where he's going to reveal to you your mission field. And it's through that process, through that vocation, that you're going to live on mission every day. And then when you're too old to do that anymore, and you do whatever retirees do, you're going to live in the local church, serve in the local church, and in your retirement, that's going to be your mission field, building relationships and leading people to Jesus Christ and discipling them to serve him all the days. That's what he does. He begins to share the gospel. Look what the Bible says in verse number 68. To, to everyone that's there, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and he has redeemed his people. Well, certainly he had done that from Egypt, but that was just a picture of what God would do. Uh, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, Christ came, verse 5, to redeem, a, to redeem a lost and dying people from their sins. In the fullness of time. When the fullness of time, God showed up to snatch Egypt. Out of, to snatch Israel out of Egypt. And in the fullness of time, he came to sin Christ. You know, there's some days I look up the 
Friday morning. It was one of the most beautiful sunrises. We were fixing to go take a little walk and uh, look down through a pasture, and it was one of the most beautiful uh, sunrises. And then we'd see beautiful sunsets at times. And, and, and every time I see one of these friends, almost, almost, I think, well, I wonder if that could be a cloud Jesus is coming back on. You ever just look up at the clouds and just say, well, I wonder if he's going to come on a cloud like that. Friend, listen, when's he going to come? When's, how much worse does it have to get till he comes? Do you ever just long to say, you know, to, like John, even so, Lord Jesus, come? When's he going to come? What's he waiting for? He's waiting for the fullness of time. He's waiting for... God knows... Friend, listen. God never underbakes anything or overbakes anything. He's always right on time. When's he going to move in the situation that you're dealing in? Some of you are facing hardships, challenges within your family, your personal life, on the job. My God, how long is this going to go on? Friend, listen. He's going to show up right on time. He's never been early and he's never been late. He always shows up right on time. Verse 68 says, God, he's, he, he has visited and has, has redeemed his people. Verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Who is that? It's Jesus. He's going to redeem a lost and dying world. Verse 70, he, as he spoke this by the mouth of the prophets who, ha, who have been since the world began, he says, this is fixing to happen, that we should be saved from our enemies. Remember that on Palm Sunday, all they were thinking about was Romans. They said, man, our enemies are all these Roman soldiers, the consulate, and Nero himself. That's our enemies. Friend, there's a greater enemy than that. It's sin. It's, it's the penalty of sin. The, the possession of sin. And thanks be to God, one day through Christ, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. We won't have to, that's, that's the enemy. He says, we've been, we've been saved from all of that. And it's all through Jesus Christ. One of the marks of a life that is, that is daily revised, when it's walking in renewal, is, is a lifestyle of evangelism. You're constantly sharing the good news of Christ. But not only that, there'll, there'll be another mark of a life that, that is flourishing in the Lord. And that is discipling people around you. You're constantly going to be crying, not just to reach people, but also to... Teach people. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. You're going to be trying to constantly teach people all those things that they are to observe, to do. And, and he begins to do that. Look at verse number 72. He says, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He starts to remind them about the nation God had called them to be. The oath which he swore to Abraham to grant to us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, look at verse 74, might serve him without fear. He says he's, he's saving us that we might serve. He's not saving us so that we can just treat him like some celestial Santa Claus, give me, give me, give me. But he's saving us that we might be surrendered to him, that he can live through us the life that he desires, that we might serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before him all the days of our lives. That means there's never a time, there's never a time as a disciple that my life is not to be totally surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ and me yielding my life to him in every way. Matthew 6, 33. 
And so there he is discipling those who are there to, to share what God's plan is for their life. But not only that, I'll tell you another mark of a life that survived we see in Zechariah's life. You focus on the priority relationships that God has put within your life. I can't witness to everyone. I can't disciple everyone because I'm not going to meet everyone. But I'll tell you three people I've always got influence into their life, and they've got influence into mine, and that's my family. That's those that are, that are, that are in my immediate family. So you say, well, I'm, I'm single. I'm, I'm a widow or a widower. I don't have any family at all anymore. Friend, listen, you have got people within the life of this local assembly that God has planted you that you have influence into. And if you don't, it's because you're not reaching out trying to find them. I promise you, every Wednesday night at 6.30, you can walk yourself right across the street to the Wanda building, and there'll be about 15 to 19 kids that you can have influence into somebody's life. We got quiet on that one, didn't it? But all the listeners said, amen. And it's a blessing and an opportunity. So everybody has the opportunity to influence someone's life. He knew that God had just given him a great opportunity, and it was John. Look what the Bible says in verse number 76. He picks up that little baby and he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Listen, he and Elizabeth, they didn't get up there outside, you know, and he didn't get his shotgun and shoot a barrel full of blue powder and dynamite to have a revealing party to tell everybody about their baby. He admits from the very beginning, it's not our baby, God, it's your baby that you've given us to, to raise, to, to, to rear and to train in the direction that they should go. He says, you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare all His ways. We, we're, we've got you for just a few years, Proverbs 22, 6, to train you in the way that you should go because God has a plan for your life. And parents and grandparents, I want to remind you, that's the greatest thing that you can do for your child is to point them in the way that they should go. Not try to give them all the things that you think you didn't have that maybe you deserved that, you know, you, that made you into the bitter person that you are or because you, you've got such low self-esteem, you're trying to live your life now through them. God has given you that child or grandchild to train them in the way that they should go before Him. And I'm telling you, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account for how you train them. You're going to give an account. And so Zechariah says from the very beginning, we're, we're going to point you in the direction you need to go because God has called you to do something great. Look at verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to His people. He's telling John from the very beginning, it's not about being a doctor, a lawyer, bus driver, mechanic, plumber, ditch digger. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, that's not what life's about. What life is about is telling other people about Jesus Christ. Life's about discipling other people. It's about living a life of fulfillment to the Great Commission. My friend, I'm telling you, that's the reason our country's in the shape that it's in. Churches have failed to make disciples that live on mission. That's why we're in the shape we're in. Only the gospel can, can make a difference. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. As you are going, Matthew 28. And he tells John right here, God's called you to give knowledge of salvation to his people. That's for everybody. By the remission of their sins. 
And only Christ could make that happen. Through the tender mercy of God. What do people deserve? Hell. He says, but in mercy, God's going to give them the opportunity to be saved. With which the day spring from on high has visited us. And that's what Christmas is all about. Friend, listen. I love the tree. I love presents. I love chestnuts roasting on the fire. And we only have a fire and we don't have chestnuts. But all those things are fine and fluffy. But I'm telling you, friend, what Christmas is all about is in the fullness of time God sent Jesus that he might grow into a man 33 years later who would hang on the cross and die for our sins. That's what Christmas is about. It's been forgotten. We need to be reminded that the day spring from on high has visited us. Why, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Why is America and the world in the shape that it's in? Because people sit in spiritual darkness and in the shadow of death. But Jesus is the light of the world. And he's discipling John already as a young baby. As a young baby, he's already preparing him for what it is that God has called him to do. The Bible says in verse number 80, look, that the child grew and became strong in spirit. That didn't happen by accident. It happened because he had two parents and a family around him that was committed to help point them in the direction they would go. And friend, I'm telling you, it does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a Christian home. It takes a Christian home. Parents committed from the outset in every way. We're going to keep the world from you as much as we can until you're able to stand. And we're going to prepare you to live the life that God's called you to live. The Bible says in verse number 80, he grew and became strong in spirit. He was a result of the example that he had at home. And so in front of John, listen, Zacharias was constantly living this revived life. There were things at home that weren't foreign to him. Bible study, prayer, seeing his parents live on mission. To have a love for God and a love for their neighbor. Zacharias was being called, and Elizabeth was, to have a family and start one late in life. What's God called you to do? What are the obstacles? What are the challenges you face? Friend, I encourage you, we begin this first Sunday before Christmas. Really think about that. God, what, what are you calling me to do in these days? What are the challenges? And then commit today. Say, God, regardless of all the obstacles, I'll step out on faith. And I'll trust you to clear a way and to make a way for what you've called me to do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I wonder today if there's ever been a moment really in your life where you've repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life. If you died today, are you 100% certain you go to heaven? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, you can be certain, you can be sure. Because the plan of salvation is recorded in God's Word. Has there ever been a moment where you've turned from sin, you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? He died for you. He paid your penalty. He rose from the grave. He offers you the same life that He has now. Eternal life, if you'll only turn and receive his lordship and forgiveness today. Tell him so in the simple prayer of faith where you sit just like this. God, forgive me, a sinner. I confess my sin. I turn from it. I believe you rose from the grave after you died for me on the cross. 
And I trust you today to be Lord of my life. Come live in my heart and be not just resident, but be president. That's my confession today. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? I want to invite you in just a moment to make your way here to the front. And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. You see, I know God's called me to do something. And trust his plan. Trust his plan. Trust that he's going to equip you and tear down all of those obstacles. You may be here today and you know you need revival. You have fainted. Your faith has faltered. Let me ask you a question. Here's a test. Has there ever been a moment in your life, listen, where you love Jesus Christ more than you love him right now? Then you stand in need of revival. Whatever it is that's made you falter and faint, would you not confess it today? Would you not forsake it? Would you not leave this place today with a fresh recommitment and resurrender to Christ's Lordship and a desire to live steadfastly before him? Zacharias did, and he was blessed because of it. 2,000 years later, here we are today studying what God did through his testimony. What will be the power of your testimony to those that you have spiritual influence over? God, I pray you'll speak to us. Whatever the need is in someone's life, God, I pray it'll be accomplished today. God, I pray for every member of our church family that, God, you really burden us for the lostness that's around us. Move us to action in these days. God, I pray if consumerism has already crept in a little bit into our life, we'll push all of that away, and this will be one of the greatest Christmas seasons we've ever had because it'll all be about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Bless this time. Invite us into your will. I pray no one will grieve or quench the Holy Spirit because we'll respond to yes with whatever it is you've called us to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.